Welcome back to the show. This is Chad Hermanson, Mental Edge Training Coach. I'm excited for my guest today. Before we get started, I want to inform you that I have a new six-week Mental Edge coaching program. I've been testing this program with some former minor leaguers and a major leaguer six weeks on this tool that I have learned at the Life Coach School. It's called the Self-Coaching Model. And what this tool is allows you, it's really an awareness tool. And so I started utilizing this tool quite a few years ago and really has been brought to my attention more once I went through the Life Coach School. And now I utilize it every day, not only in my life, but in those that I'm coaching. So I want to make sure you're aware of my six-week program. You can gather more information. And what I like to actually offer you is a free mini session. Not many people are familiar, even know what coaching is about or really have ever done it before. So I want to offer you a a free call, a 30-minute call. You can schedule that at mentaledgetrainingcoach.com. So what's the requirement? The requirement is that you bring something to the table that you want coaching on. Okay. You can be an athlete. You can be a former athlete. You can be a parent. What I do ask, however, is since we're kind of working in a professional manner, is if, say, you're a baseball player and you're under the age of 18, we need to make sure that a parent sets that call up, right? We need to make sure that that's all good to go. The call is over Zoom. And if things go well, right, if, if you feel like I can actually help you and help you work through a particular issue and you want to move forward, I'll offer you the opportunity to work with me in my six-week program. It's one-on-one, and we're going to go through a whole bunch of different things to get you on track. I want to see where you are at today. I want to see where you want to go in your life or where you want to go with this particular issue. And we're going to work on the gap, right? That's that's basically causing you not to get the results that you want. So again, check that out. Uh, You can DM me, you can message me, however you reach me, whether it's through social media or you can email me at chad at mentaledge.coach. But I want to make sure you're aware of my new six-week program. These Meyerly players are loving it. Um, they wish they had this tool, and I can certainly understand because once you start to understand the tool, you start to understand how to start working through your kind of thoughts, right? your feelings, your emotions in life, and why anytime we have problems in our life, it all relates to our thoughts. So make sure you check that out again at mentaledgetrainingcoach.com. Now today, we're going to be talking to a journeyman, Jalal Leach. Jalal Leach resides up in California. He's a California dude, spent years and years in the minor leagues and finally got that call up to the big leagues after spending quite a few time. I believe he was 32 years old, over 10 years in the minor leagues before he got that call. So we're going to hear about his story, what that call up was like and the grind that he went through to make his dream come true. So enjoy this conversation with Jalal Leach. All right, Mr. Jalal Leach, how we doing, man? I'm good, and yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're recording this on Valentine's Day, and we were just joking that, you know, we've been married quite a while, and we have, you know, we get our flowers or whatever, chocolates, and and then maybe get some dinner later on tonight. What's your plans? I am going to take my girlfriend. Well, she said she didn't want anything too exquisite, so it might just be something <laughs> simple like... uh 
a drink and hors d'oeuvres or something. So uh-huh. she, she kind of dumbed it down for me, which yeah. is a lot easier. There you go. There you go. Yeah, we were, we were talking about maybe making some pizzas and doing something, you know. It's kind of like she, even she she still plans it, right? I just show up. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, hey, I, I wanted to bring you on just to kind of get just a little background. We were we faced each other. Um, we were kind of both outfielders coming up, and we played against each other quite a bit. Um, kind of in the late '90s, early 2000s, you were in with the Giants in Fresno, and I was out in Nashville. And uh, just remember you as an outfielder hitting hitting balls all over the place kind of seemed like the leader of, of kind of that team and um so and just been kind of following each other's careers for a while and you're now in the scouting world uh, but what intrigued me about you was understanding and kind of knowing a little bit about your story of your grind of getting to the big leagues and and hanging on where you, you didn't quite make it right away but you took it took a little bit of time to get there and you finally got there so but I want to go back to where what was it like for you? Because you went to Pepperdine for college, correct? What was your high school process like, and how did you get to Pepperdine? Well, you know, I, I'm speaking, I'm probably speaking for both of us, we were before the travel ball era or phenomenon that we have today. So I played, you know, all sports growing up, um, then got to high school focused on basketball and baseball. Basketball being my first love, you know, I I, I had dreams of the NBA well mm-hmm. before then, uh, MLB. Um, and I, you know, just played baseball because everyone else played. And basically my sophomore year, I got invited to what now we would call a showcase um, down at Cal State Fullerton by Augie Garrido. And what was creative was I think how they did it was back then they they went through when this is in the newspaper era i think they went through all the the high school leagues or conferences and looked at like the top five batters top five pitchers and through the western united states and they basically you know determined that those are probably the better players in their league and they sent an invite to your high school to the athletic director saying that you have been selected for this camp at Fullerton so it seemed like a big deal and you know and then you go in the athletic director calls you in and goes, oh we got this letter inviting you to this camp all-star camp at Fullerton so of course as a youngster you're all excited take it home show your parents and it's like please can I go and it was paid so I mean we had to pay so it was like begging my mom and dad please please I'll you know, more news. I'll, I'll do more of my paper route. I'll do whatever, you know, I wanted to go because of the the fanfare with it. And so they said, yeah, we'll let you go. So I went down there and, you know, they put us through the, the running of the 60, the batting practice, the in and out. And then the last day, I believe, I think it was like a Saturday, Sunday. And then on Sunday we played a game. Um, you know, they had some kind of simulated game going and, you know, I just went and did my thing. And and the last day, Augie comes up to me and he goes, where are you from, Nevada? I said, no, Novato. He goes, he goes, where's that? And I said, it's just north of San Francisco. And he goes, man, you're pretty good at baseball. You better better stick to it. And I, and I remember saying to him, baseball is my secondary sport. I said, I'm a basketball player. I just yeah. can't because I got the invite. And he goes, you might want to reconsider. 
And so I remember, I remember when I got home, I told my parents about it. And my dad said, well, what do you think? I'm like, well, he said I was pretty good at baseball and this and that. So maybe I should focus more on baseball. But I said, I'm not giving up hoop. So mm-hmm. basically my sophomore year was when I kind of transitioned more into baseball away from uh, basketball. And that's when the recruiting letters start coming, the interest from the pro teams for the draft, and on and on and on. Okay. That's outstanding. Yeah, it's so you kept playing basketball, and it's it's interesting how one guy that, I guess, it, with it, that type of stature, right? Because you're kind of going into it with cold feet. You don't know really what is going to happen. But a guy of Augie Garrido's stature said, hey, man, you're pretty good. Did, so did that help you build your confidence along the way, or did you already have all this confidence to go anyway? Well, he, he just opened my eyes to, you know, how good I was at baseball. Because everything that I was pretty much doing was just instinct, you know. I probably knew more about a drop step, you know, guarding someone in hoop or a jump shot rotation on the basketball than anything to do with baseball. I just I just reacted on the baseball field. But kind of when he said that, and then, you know, I was and then when I got home, I was getting there were other coaches there and scouts. And so I started getting stuff from schools like randomly. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma State I got like a letter and, and you know just it just things start popping up and I was like oh wow maybe maybe this is my my, my way out <laughs> and so I just kind of you know ran with it from there and just like I said just I, I still was thinking hoop but I said baseball was what I was going to probably end up doing after high school. At what point did, did you play basketball all the way through high school or did you give that up eventually? No, I played all the way through high school. Okay. I mean, yeah. And even when I got down to eventually I, I got a scholarship to Pepperdine, the coach Jim Herrick at the time, he even um approached me and said, I heard you're a pretty good basketball player. Do you want to come out? And I'm like, I'm a six one, six two swing man. I said, I don't know if that worked <laughs> in a division one hoop level. I said, I'm not a true guard. So, you know, I could just jump. That's that's how I survived in in high school and he was like okay okay and i you know i was there to play baseball so by then i was um completely done with it and my freshman year um we just went to a king's game here and one of my old college mate doug christie the longtime nba player he's coaching for the kings well his first year at pepperdine back then they had that prop 48 rule if you didn't have a certain i think it was sat um uh, um uh, uh what was the gpa you had to um so basically he had to doug had to sit out and so he played basketball with us and because he couldn't do anything with the hoop team so i played with him my, both our freshman year and i was like god this dude can't even be on the team then i i need to uh all right. So you kind of you, you graduate, right? You get done with high school. At what point did you start to become a prospect? And you say like scouts are already looking at your sophomore year in high school. What was your senior year like in high school with the pro scouts? Well, my dad, uh, rest in peace, God bless his soul. He pretty much scared me straight into just going to college. So I never even considered the draft or 
any major league baseball. So he basically told the scouts, you'd be wasting a draft pick mm-hmm. uh, if you take him out of high school because he's going to college. So pretty much anything he said went. So I didn't even <laughs> get to think about, you know, w- what the draft may have been or not. And in all, in all frankness, it was best for me to go to college because as we know, once you get into pro ball, it becomes your job pretty quick there. Yeah, and if you're not no ready to handle it, it can be it can be tough in the in the early stages. Yeah, absolutely. So what was so you get to Pepperdine, right? And you're kind of what what year was this in Pepperdine? Give guys people an idea. I, I was an incoming freshman in '87, but I played the seasons of '88 through '90. '88 through '90. Okay, so a little bit before um, with Steve Rodriguez and guys like that. You know, just local Vegas guy out here that. I can't remember what year they won that that championship. I'm sure you do. When did Pepperdine? 19, 1992. They were all freshmen my junior year. So we stunk my junior year, did not make a regional. <laughs> and I said when I left, I said, if you guys don't win a national championship in a couple years, it, it, you guys are all trash. Because they basically all played as true freshmen. And took we took our lumps. And lo and behold, two years later, they end up winning it. So it was kind of cool to see all that come to fruition, you know, so. Okay. So you see, you led the charge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was all part of it. So, yeah, there's a couple guys out here. uh, Steve Rodriguez, he doesn't live here anymore, but Chris Schaff, uh, Mm -hmm. a couple guys are part of that team. And so, so you went through Pepperdine, you had that experience. So now, so now on the pro scout side or the pro, these guys start talking to you, what, your junior year, senior year? How does that all happen for you? Yeah, so my junior year um, going in, you know, the I guess the interest had ramped up and, you know, my coach starts saying, hey, teams are really high on you and, you know, taking you at the time fairly high in the draft. So, again, my dad took the lead. And this is all pre-internet. And he he did his due diligence, his homework on vetting out agents and, value for where you should go he had it all i don't know how he did it <laughs> but he had it all dialed in um leading into the draft so um that was you know it was a tough year for me my junior year because you know i was used to people there watching me play but not watching every single move i made from as soon as i came out of the locker room till i jogged down the the left field line to go to the cage, you know, just to warm up. It was like everyone, someone was there always watching. So that was kind of odd. And then it, mm-hmm. I got off to a slow start. And then my coach, uh, Andy Lopez, um, he just kind of yanked me in one day and he said, you need to quit worrying about all this other stuff going on and play your game. And that kind of settled me down. And he, I mean, he got on me. It wasn't a, it wasn't a pat on the back. It was a, <laughs> he got, he lit into me. Like, if you don't start playing, I'm going to put you on the bench. Right. Pull, pull your head out, right? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> some version of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Lopez went on to right, do some incredible things, right? Went to Arizona and um, did some stuff there. So, now, did you come out your junior year? I did. About your junior year. The Yankees drafted you, right? I had the seventh round in 1990. Is that correct? Yes, sir. All right. So tell us about you now. So you're drafted, college is over with, you get into the minor league system. Tell us about um, kind of the grind of the minor leagues for you. What was that all about for you? Well, for me, you know, when I signed, 
I like everyone, I don't know who came up with the notion, but it was everyone, if you don't make it in four years, you know, then you'll go back, finish school or get a job. You know, it was pretty much a done deal. So, you know, once I got in there, you know, playing in the New York Penn League, Oneana, then going to Fort Lauderdale for a season, then Prince William in the Carolina League, and then AA in Albany Colony, and then getting to AAA in 94. You know, I was I was moving up every year. So once I got to that, excuse me, year four, I basically, you know, it, it happened so fast. And I remember when the season ended, my dad said, okay, four years, you're not in the big league. So you ready to give it up? And I just kind of looked around. I'm like, no, I'm like, this is way too much fun to give up. And I'm at the, you know, at the highest level of the, of the minor league level. Um, so for me, I just kept, kept on, you know, we're getting paid to play a game. So nothing topped that or beat that. So I just kept pushing forward. Mm-hmm. Um, with that and, 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 you know, lo and behold, I bounced around to what, three different or three more different organizations, um, you know, before getting to the big leagues 12 after spending 12 years in the minors. Yes. Yeah, 12 years in the minors. So you, you get up to AAA, what, roughly around 25, that sound right? Mm-hmm. Sometime around there. So you're, in, you're with the Yankees still at that point. Mm-hmm. And then how many years were you in AAA with the Yankees before you went over to the Giants? So I spent 94 AAA with the Yankees, 95 AAA with the Yankees, 96. I was in AA and AAA with Montreal, 97 AAA with Seattle, 98 traded to from signed back with Seattle. You know, the minor league free agency kicked in. So signed back with Seattle right before spring training traded to San Francisco um, and got released. That was 1998 at the end of spring training. Didn't want to go to independent ball. Didn't want to go to Mexico. So Brian Sabian, who I knew from my Yankee days, mm-hmm. he said, how about you go coach, be a hitting coach in San Jose, but I want you to still train like a player. So I would get to the ballpark, I don't, it must've been for like a seven o'clock game. I must've been like on the field, like at 11 or wow. noon to yeah. do all my stuff as a player. And then when the players start filtering in, I guess about two, three o'clock, then I would become a coach and I was a hitting coach. And, you know, and I did that for like, I want to say about a month and a half. And then something happened in double a where they had to put a kid who wasn't ready for double a back in the a ball and then they react. They asked me if, they, if I wanted to play again. And I said, yeah. So they reactivated me. And I went back to double A um, for like, uh, I want to say about two months. And and then I got back and I ended up finishing in triple A. Now, to back up a little bit, when I was a hitting coach in San Jose, Bobby Bonds lived in San Jose and he was working for the Giants. And basically, I got to be really close with them. And I asked him about, you know, if there were things he could help me with my hitting. Cause I told him my story. I said, Hey, I've been a journeyman in the minors and I can't get over the hump. I said, I'm, I think the powers was keeping me short. So basically he watched me hit for a week. And I mean, this is straight old school oh. and I miss seniors. <laughs> I mean, this is where you guys smoked around the batting cage players smoked. So like he's leaning on the batting cage, watching me hit one day. He's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And he's not saying anything. And then, like, 
five days later, he comes in and, and here's another old school thing. He had a magazine and the magazine had the like baseball card side profile of uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And he said of them, of their batting stance, he said, what do you see? I said, oh, they have their index fingers off the bat. He goes, that's why you're not in the big leagues. That's because you're losing power. And I was like, that's it? He goes, that's it. And I was like, you're telling me because those fingers aren't off the bat is why I'm not driving the ball the way I should be? He goes, yep. So I just kept practicing that with them for a few weeks. And then when they activated me to play again, first night we are playing, I, I went to Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, and we are playing in San Antonio. And, I, and I, as a pro scout, every time I go to San Antonio, I always think about that at bat. Wow. Because I remember, you know, and so basically I got in there and I just, I, re I remember the, the first at bat, I took those fingers off the bat and I got in the box. I said, well, here we go. Here goes nothing. And the guy, you know, groove one. And as soon as he let it go, I said, oh, that's my pitch. And I turned <laughs> on this ball and hit it so far. Did you ever play in San Antonio? No. Okay. Yeah, so they have leave. like, okay. So they had a scoreboard and right. And I hit it over the scoreboard and I was like, oh my God. So after the game came in, this is pre-texting. So I called senior and I said, you would not believe how far I hit this ball tonight. It worked, it worked. <laughs> He's all right, that's cool. Keep up. Call me in a couple more weeks and we'll see where you're going. And I just went on an absolute tear in double A. Then I got called back up to triple A and I just continued hitting. And then everyone's all, how's this guy making this adjustment at age 28? He should be a suspect, not a prospect. Mm -hmm. And basically, I just told him what he told me about my fingers. And and then I, you know, and then when I told everyone what he was the one behind it, he called he called me, he goes, Leachy, my nickname's Leachy. He goes, Leachy, only credit I want from you is American Express, MasterCard, or Visa. <laughs> he said, do not, you know, he he didn't like people to know who he was working with or what he was suggesting. But I was like, senior, I would have never, this would have never happened had I not been coaching in San Jose. So I wanted to give you your props. He goes, all right, that's cool. That's cool. But, you know, from then on, that's what basically carried me the next few years in the minors until I got called up to the big leagues. And when I got called up, he's like on the short list of people I had to thank because I said, had I never met you, I would have still had that same grip hitting those top spin lobs instead of backspinning the ball. And it was just all of my grip. Yeah. So, so tell us more. So you're saying just changing your grip index fingers are off the bat. So explain like, why did that work so well for you? What did it actually do? Well, the way he explained it to me, it was like, he said, think about when you go fishing, when you're excited and you go out and he says, you want to, you know, if you want to cast a rod for distance, he goes, but sometimes we, I said, yeah, when I go fishing, I, it, the first cast, I don't usually get it out there as far because I'm squeezing the rod because, you know, I'm excited. So he said, yeah, okay. So he said, think about if you let your index finger out, what does that do to your wrist? I said, oh, it makes my wrist loose. So he said, okay. So the same concept, he had me hold the bat. He said, put a fist around the bat. And I put a fist around it. And he said, just kind of waggle the bat. And he goes, okay, you see how that feels? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I feel it. He goes, now let that finger out. He goes, you get a little more tilt in the bat? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, that tilt is what's going to give you that extension, that snap. So by me taking those fingers off, basically when I went to swing and hit the ball, 
rather rather than being in a I'm I'm trying to do it over the zoom over <laughs> a, a rollover position at point of contact, I had more palm up, palm down. Okay. And as we know, with palm up, palm down, that's going to make you backspin the ball if you strike it correctly. Versus if you're if you got that top hand kind of rolling, that ball's going to spin down. And that was that was basically it. Was yeah. I just took those two index fingers off, and it just it just changed my grip. Where when I struck the ball, I made it backspin versus the topspin, and the power increased. Hmm. Yeah, that's fast. I've never heard of that before. You know, and I. You, I can maybe go on my mind like, okay, who who kept that finger off slightly? So you mm -hmm. just kind of kept it off a little bit and made it looser and you're able to kind of do So your wrists are kind of working a little like looser in that regard too? Would you exactly. Say? Ex exactly. So to fast forward, like when my son, you know, who's playing in college and he's a different build than me, he's on the smaller side. But as soon as he told me he wanted to play, as soon as he could pick up a bat, I told him, he, I said, you don't need those fingers. And from Little League through high school, even into college, when he hits a ball, people are like, how does this little guy generate this, this pop? And he always says, because my dad told me when I first picked up the bat to take these fingers off the bat. And that because he can backspin the ball. And mm -hmm. I and it's just it's just what Bobby showed me. And I just pass it on to him. And you know, as a hitting coach now, whenever I work with kids, I just say, give it a try, see if it helps you. And some of the kids go, man, that that took me from beating the ball on the ground to now I can backspin it and get it in the air. So yeah. I just, you know, and, just and, that, and that's both 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 hands, not just the bottom or top hand. It's it's both hands, both right? Fingers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And just not making a fist, locking that that thumb over your index finger. Yeah, it's, it's keeping it loose. And you know, you can you can put your thumb over it, but just don't pinch it down. Gotcha. Okay, cool. I'm trying that next time I go out to hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very cool. So, so Bobby Bond, this is Bobby Bonds mm -hmm. said, and you know, a pretty good guy to listen to. And Barry Bonds, I would consider probably the best hitter ever. But um, now, does Barry do that? And to some capacity, would you say? I think he did to some capacity. Yeah, he he didn't have the bat real deep in the shells of his hand. And I think, I mean, well, he was freakishly strong and hand. Well, we know all the things he could do in the batter's boxes, yeah. you know, out of this world. But, but yeah, they, they, him and his dad are like just baseball savants, you know, just being around senior. And then my time in San Francisco being around Barry and just seeing how he thought it was more how he thought was what intrigued me uh, than just, the physical part of it. It was, he, he thought totally different than anyone I had ever played with. He said things that I, I had never even questioned or even had crossed my mind uh, of how he, uh, his process, his preparation, uh, what he's thinking during the game. Cause I, I feel like baseball is a thinking man sport. You know, you gotta be able to think fast and on your feet and, you know, cause we react quick and then, and then the, you know, the action stop where football, they go to the whistle or hoop. you go until someone puts the ball in the hoop, but baseball, you know, we, what do we have uh, a blink of an eye when the pitch is coming to decide if we're swinging or not. Mm -hmm. And I mean, these guys are throwing so hard today. I mean, it's like, you can't blink or the ball's going to be in the mitt. So 
just being around him, yeah, you know, was was, was tremendous. That's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. Is there anything specifically you remember that you could share with us that you were just like, whoa, like I wasn't even a thought with with Bonds' approach there? Um, one thing I used to ask him about because I was there in two thousand one when he broke the single season record, home run record. And I asked him, I said, how, I said, B, how do you not get passive when you know they're pitching around you all the time? I said, me, I would get frustrated if I go, if I was going up to the plate knowing I wasn't going to get a pitch to hit. Mm-hmm. And then and then I might relax, and then they sneak one by me. Now I'm mad at myself. And he said he had always thought out all the situations of the game before the game started. Like he knew who was starting – who was in the who was in their bullpen and all the scenarios and situations that might come up. So he kind of knew when they would either come after him or they just pitch around him. And one thing he said to me about concentration, and I still use this today with kids, probably more so with younger kids, but he said, he said, Leachy, imagine, he said, imagine, you know, at the time my kids were, well, I had one baby and one on the one. Mm-hmm. And I, he said, imagine when you go up to bat, if I told you your kids were standing in front of the catcher and your job as a batter was to prevent them from getting hit by the ball. He goes, where's your focus go? I go, oh, through the roof. He goes, that's what I do. Hmm. And I was like, wow, I never thought of it. He goes, that's why you don't ever see me get distracted by anything going on in the stadium or around on the field because I go into that tunnel vision mode. And when he said that, I was like, and he even said, he said, try it. And I tried it. And we're probably just in the cage or something, you know, we're just shooting the breeze, you know, BP. And when he, when he said it, I was like, Whoa, that, that brought all the concentration right to the ball and not worried about, Oh, he might throw me a backdoor slider. He might go with the changeup. It just basically simplified it and took me took all my attention just to like when we're kids learning how to play, see the ball and hit it. Mm. And yeah. and he was just, you know, his thought process was. I mean, I could go on and on about that guy. <laughs> uh, just he, he could he could he could have easily been a player manager. And I know people don't like him because of you know, his theatrics and all that. But that was all a part of his game plan, you know, to to get people pissed off at him because he said, another thing he said was, he goes, if you get people pissed off at you and the pitcher especially, and pitcher wants to punch you out so bad, he again, apply too much pressure to the ball, what happens? He hangs a breaking (laughs) ball. And I was like, dang, you're right. Or they overthrow. Trying a little too hard, right? Yes. Yeah. I was like, wow, B, that's, I was like, I get it. I, I get all of this, why why he was the way, way he was. And he was reserved and he was kind of standoffish. And, you know, he didn't necessarily interact with everyone. You know, there'd be days you walk in the locker room, he'd be like your best friend. Then the next day you walk in the locker room and then you, he, he'd walk right by you like he didn't even see you. Right. So it's like, where, where am I? But I think that was a part of his whole, you know, mo of of staying above and better than everyone else because really we're all competing. Whether it's the opponent or your teammates, we're. I mean, you know, we're competing to 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 get jobs, to get at bats, to play. Yeah. So well, I get and, it. 
and, and it makes total sense that you say that just because of who he is right and you hear about that like the all-time greats like some of them just had this extra let's just call it their mindset of they're so above it all and they're kind of playing games right I had I had an experience like that with another player that he would just kind of walk past you in the hallway and like you're the only two there you're like am I invisible right like like you can't even say hi type thing and right. and I'm like and then you kind of think about it later you're like is he just so locked in that he doesn't want any outside source coming to him or any distraction he's so focused right which that's kind of t- what I tend to believe without mm-hmm. a person telling me that I'm like oh they're just in a whole different like they're locked in all the time there's no like breaks right, right. they they have their own little internal cues or whatever they're doing to keep them above it right that they're mm-hmm. they're literally better than everyone right yeah. and so which can piss people off right? right especially if you're a teammate you're like what we we don't even say hi to each other you know right so but i'm sure Barry Bonds didn't care either so <laughs> right yeah if you're if you're like me coming up or anybody else, like somewhat of a people pleaser like kind of want to make everybody feel comfortable and like have a good time happy and that that doesn't work for guys like me right that <laughs> that want want to be cordial i guess you could say to everybody right right it's it's so it's a mindset trick i'm sure he, he definitely worked with um no doubt no doubt i mean not and, and not not to cut you off but you know the next year i went back to the yankees and i went to camp with them and roger clemens was mm-hmm. on the team a similar trait and you know my thing being a journeyman bench player you know last man always just fighting to, to stay in camp as long as possible. You know, my thing was I liked standing in on – because I never knew when I was going to play, for one. So I liked standing in on the pitchers to get to get my time because, you know, you know hitting's all about time. So if I knew I wasn't going to get a start and forward bats that day, I would try to stand in on pitchers to track and try to keep my timing mm-hmm. as short as possible. So I remember when I, when I wanted to ask Roger – uh, before one of his starts and I'm I'm friends with Derek Jeter and Jeet said he goes yeah you can talk to him you know I wanted to fill it out before he goes you good can luck talk to him, but do not ask him on the day he's pitching right and I was like, Got it. so I asked him you know after I introduced myself I asked him and he's all yeah that's cool I don't have a problem with you coming down he goes you'll help me get locked in okay. so I asked him this is one spring training and um and so he said yeah you can stand in on my next start and i remember like yesterday we went to dunedin uh, to play the blue jays and i don't know do you you played there mm-hmm. yeah you've had to play mm-hmm. so i don't know if you remember how narrow i haven't been in years but how narrow the bullpens were yeah uh, there wasn't much space so you know and i usually when i stood in on pitchers i like to get you know warming up so and i've been hit too a few <laughs> pitchers have hit oh sure me. so so, you know, I'm not getting right in there on Rocket. And so I go down and he's, you know, he's hot and he's firing bullets. And uh and he and, and I'm way off the plate and he yells down that he goes, Leechy, if you're gonna stand in, get in there like it's the game, not like you're <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. And Jorge Posado's catch, he started laughing. He goes, Leechy, he doesn't miss his spots. This guy, he goes. You can close your eyes. He he will if he wants to hit you, he'll hit you. Right. But other than that, he puts it where he wants it every time. And it was just another moment. I was like, man, that's like. I mean, he was so intense. 
and this is just a spring training start. Yeah. And it just yeah. I was like, this is what makes these guys great is they go to a whole nother level of competition, even when they're warming up their preparation. And it's like stuff I've read about Brady and LeBron and Kobe. It's all this sounds like they're all they all have the same themes as far as preparation. It's like they're not playing around too much, even if it's practice. They're like they go to game speed as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's something I always stress to my son in practice. Try to get up to game speed mentally as quick as you can, because I feel like that's what they were doing. You know, not that I don't know if he'll ever have their ability, but just the quicker we can get to to to, to that, you know, oh, here we go. You know, I'm in here with Mike Tyson. How much is this yeah. punch going to hurt? Yeah, you exactly. Know, the, the better off I'll be. So yeah. I just try to pick any of the great players I was around coming up. I was always trying to pick their brains and try to learn. And I was from A-Rod to Jeter to Griffey to Randy Johnson and – you know, they all had that competitiveness that is just – I don't know if it's just something you're born with or what, but, you know, yeah. they were they were different. Well, and it made, made me think, too, of the different teams that you came up with, right? You mentioned the Yankees at first, then I think a little bit of the Giants, the Mariners were in there, and I think back to the Giants. So I'm just thinking, like, the Yankees, right, in the 90s, right? Give us some names of – because people are probably like, wow, 12 years to finally get to the big leagues, right? A question be, well, what took so long, right? So tell us who is in the Yankees outfield when you're you're in AAA a few years. I'm curious as to even the names that were there, if you can remember those. Uh, there was Bernie Williams. There was Gerald Williams. Uh, there was Daryl Strawberry Siding. Uh, <laughs> Paul Neal. Mm-hmm. Danny Tartable. I'm trying to think who else was ahead of me. It was Mel Hall. Mel Hall. That's wow. a name. Dude, you're dating yourself now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was there were so many guys, you yeah. know, in in the Yankees system. And then guys that I was coming up with from Jeter, Pettit, Posada, Mariano, uh, Rivera, um, Russ Davis, JT Snow. Um, and I think the best athlete, and he got to the big leagues, of all of them, if you would have thought that anyone was going to be a, a star, was a guy named Ruben Rivera. I don't know if you remember yeah, him. totally. When I oh, went to Mexico, well, I played against him uh, in AAA a little bit. Uh, but when I went to Mexico for a month, he was on my team. Uh, just pure raw power. And I don't know how much of it was legit. Um enhanced if you will but mm-hmm. he was yeah i know exactly what you mean yeah he was a freak yeah. athlete i mean he he could do everything on the field i mean it came easy i mean it, it literally came easy to ruben and, and you know it's a hard game to play i mean he did get there and got a little time and and you know and i played with him he was younger than me so he was mm-hmm. kind of always a little bit behind but you could see the the two uh, from a scout standpoint, you could yeah. see why everyone drooled over him. The tools were were sick with with Ruben, you know. But yeah, I I, I I remember in Mexico, and this is like bigly careers over, right? And I was I think roughly, I think he might be a, a year, a couple years older than me. He's probably what forty eight, forty nine, getting close mm-hmm. to fifty maybe. Um, 
But in guys that can like just leave the yard oppo in BP and and do it pretty easy, to me that's pretty special, right? Mm -hmm. He he was doing that in Mexico, and I'm like, wow, this dude's just a different level of strength, you know, to him. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm thinking of also now Seattle, right? I'm thinking you're you're playing behind Griffey, Buner, um, Tino Martinez, who's in left field, um. It might have been Jose. They were trying to give it Cruz, to Jose Cruz Jr. Cruz, Shane Monahan. It probably I don't know if he was after you or not, but um, but you know, Griffey Buners, they, they were there for quite a while. And mm. um, then you go over to San Francisco, right? Now we're talking Bonds, probably they always just had incredible outfielders, you know. Yeah, Marvin Bernard, well, mm -hmm. Sean Dunstan, Eric Davis came in. At one point, they had prospects that they were high on. Uh, Jacob Cruz, Dante mm -hmm. Powell, uh, Calvin Murray. God, they yep. had some yeah. too. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, there were a lot, a lot of outfield everywhere I went. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the point is, right? Like, you got to make some noise, right? You got to make some noise in AAA to even, even get that sniff. And so, you, you said, I believe it was twelve years, right? Mm -hmm. Then you get the call. Tell us about your call up story. Um, for me, well, and the, for me, when I got called up, you know, in uh, 2001, uh, we didn't, you know, the season, the AAA season was coming to a close. At the time, we played at Fresno State. We shared with the college. Oh. So at that time, I think football had just started. So our last two games of the season, we had like a night game Saturday off day Sunday, and then our last game was on Monday. And I think they made – we were off Sunday because I, I think there was a football game or something. They had to use the field for something else. So rather than us playing Saturday and Sunday and being done, we had just this middle – this day off. So mm -hmm. after the game on Saturday, at the time I was living in Sacramento or still living in Sacramento, I, I basically – packed up all my stuff and it's about a three hour drive and brought everything home. Cause the season was over and they had already made their initial September one call ups. So the last day on Monday and we were out of it, we weren't going to make the playoffs. So basically I just asked my dad and I didn't bring my family back down. Cause my, my kids or my daughter was a baby and my, my son was coming after the season. Mm -hmm. So I just had my dad drive down with me and we basically just drove down going to play the game and then turn around, and come right back home, just make it a long day. Um, so we, you know, we had no BP, not, we just show, we just showed and went the show and go show and go. Yep. And so, you know, get there, go to cage, get a couple flips. All right, let's play. And, um, you know, the game was going and they were out of it. I think who were we playing? Uh, maybe new Orleans. I think it was new Orleans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the Astros were in there. I think, yeah, I'm almost yeah. positive it was New Orleans. So we're just playing out the game because they're done, we're done. And, you know, I end up getting a couple of hits. I think I even hit a homer. And, you know, I'm kind of, you know, another season gone by, not another year, no no chance at the big leagues. My numbers were just okay um, that year. And so, you know, I'm just sitting there. And I remember at one point sitting next to our trainer, um, Rick Limbo. And just kind of venting to him during the game about, man, <laughs> another year I didn't get called. I'm just speaking out loud. Yeah. And he's just sitting there. And then he gets up and walks away. 
And I'm like, man, the trainer won't even listen to me complain. <laughs> he just Barry Bonds, dude, man. <laughs> yeah, he, he just straight big me. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, forget limbo. Yeah, so we yeah. finished the game, and typically I'm slow to undress after the game because, you know, I want to wind down, process the game, whatever I did. And so, I, you know, I knew we had that three-hour drive back. So I hurry in, and I'm like the first one in there. And I'm like tearing off my uniform. I'm going to say bye to everyone real fast because I just want to get on the road with my dad and get back to set. And so I get in there and and in the locker room back then we had these, uh, we had the trailer for locker rooms in Fresno. I see the locker rooms of kids now. We were in an actual trailer. Yeah. And so Shane Turner, who was uh, my manager then, and a little backstory about Shane. Well, when I was the hitting coach in San Jose, he was the manager. So I went from being his coach to player to now he's going to call me to the big league. So he comes storming in the locker room and he's yelling at me, Lee, you get in my office. You missed some signs. He's going to like, he's, he's making this big old thing. And I'm like, Shane, you're really going to find me the last game of the season for missing friggin' signs. Are you kidding me? And that wasn't the language we used, but you yeah. know, you know what we use. So he's like, get in my office. And so I go in there and he's like, close the door. So I close the door and I'm like ready to argue with him. Like, I can't believe you want to freaking take money out of my pocket the last day of the season. And he just starts going off. He's like yelling at me. He like top of his life. And then in the middle of it, he goes, and by the way, if you want to play for the Giants tomorrow, you need to be in San Francisco tomorrow. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, you heard me. And he's like, it's, his voice yeah. is elevated. And he goes, you need to be in San Francisco tomorrow. It's a 7 o'clock game. And I was like, then the tone came down. And the hitting coach is in there, Mike Hart, who I've known since my Yankee day. And I'm like, Hardy, is he playing with me? Or is this, are you guys playing a prank or something? And he goes, no. You're, you're, no, you, they're both like, no, you're going to the big leagues. And so everyone was, everyone was kind of listening at the door. And then when I opened the door, I had a smile and then a big old cheer came yeah. out. Everyone knew, God, this guy been in the bushes for 12 years. So that was a cool moment. And then I had the clubhouse guy run and get my dad. And, you know, he thought something was wrong with me physically. He's like, Mr. Leach, you need to come into the locker room. You know, my dad's thinking I'm having a heart attack. He comes in, he goes, what's up? What's up? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, oh, I said, I'm going to the big leagues. So he was like, oh, wow, they're calling you up. So we had a moment there. That's awesome. It out. And so, you know, that drive back to SAC, I'm calling all my friends in and out of the game, telling them I'm getting the call. Call one of my best baseball buddies. He's still like my brother today. Kevin Jordan, he was in the big leagues with the Phillies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, KJ was lecturing me and don't go up there, make sure you do this and, you know, stay yourself. And I'm so proud of you and happy. So, you know, and that was my first roommate when we both first signed with the Yankees in 90. And we're still brothers, fishing partners, camps together to this day. So I just talked to him today um, or text awesome. him today. Yeah. So um, that was it. And, you know, and the next got home and, you know, I was so excited and, and and couldn't sleep and, and it just I, I just couldn't believe that it was really going to happen. So we drove into San Francisco the next day. And at the time uh, when I was married, you know, my ex wife, she was like, you know, we got they put you up in the hotel for a week. And so we get and my daughter's like a baby. And then my son was coming right after the season. And like, I was so like, uh, just blocked out from them. Like, you know, the baby's crying. I just didn't hear. Her. And then she just <laughs> goes, I know you want to go to the field. 
you may as well just go because you've been waiting so long. (laughs) I was like, thank you, thank you. So I literally hailed a cab, no Uber, hailed a cab, told the guy, the guy's like, where are you going? I said, uh, well, I was in Pac Bell then. I said, Pac Bell Park. And so uh, it would go through the back entrance and they got everyone's name on the list. And then, you know, the clubbies come out and they get all, you know, they get all your equipment. You don't carry anything in the big leagues. And so I walk in underneath the stadium there and, and walk into the locker room like, wow. And, uh, and, and the only ones there, I was there at like noon. So the clubhouse <laughs> manager, Mike Murphy, he, you know, I stopped in his office and he goes, Hey, I know you spent a long time in the bushes. He goes, I'm not typically rookies get a high number, but he goes, I, he goes, I'm gonna give you a regular number because you, you earned it. You earned it. And he goes, your locker's down there on the right by the bathroom. So I just came in and went in. No one's in there. And I look in there. I see my uniform, my name, a number, and all that. So just like a kid in Little League, I put my uniform on and went in the bathroom and looked in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, Take some selfies, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I wish we had the camera phone. <laughs> and I was just so excited. And then, you know, and then I was like, all right, you got to take all this off before everyone comes in. And then I'm just sitting there in my locker because I'm really early. Mm-hmm. And then Dusty comes in and he looks in he looks in the locker room. He looks left, looks right to see who's in there. And he looks right and he just starts laughing because he sees me sitting in my locker. And he goes, I should have known. Yeah. You be in here ready to go. That's you already right. got your pants on. And so he goes, get in my office. So I go in his office. He congratulates me. And he, you know, kind of told me my role, mop up. And so he goes, don't ask me to play. I'll tell you when to play. I know you want to play. But, you know, we're still in the pennant race. So I said, okay, big, I'll always be ready. You know me. I'll be ready for any situation, anytime you call on my name. And he goes, I know, I know. But just just stay ready and just do your work and, and congrats again. So then all the guys started coming in. And everyone knew my story. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I just B came over, Kent, JT. I knew JT from our Yankee days because he was drafted by the Yankees as well. And um, just got out there and, you know, just kind of did my thing and waited for him to call my name. That's awesome. And then you got so this you said it was 2001. So you speaking of bonds, you get to watch everything that's happening during that that year. Yes. So when I came up, he probably was at low 60s home runs. His home run Mm -hmm. total. And so, you know, when he came up to bat, it was like must-see TV. I felt like the whole – everywhere we went, the whole stadium stopped. The peanut vendor yeah. stopped selling peanut. Everyone wa- wanted to watch him hit. No one was walking around. It was like everyone was, like, focused on this guy's at-bats. And it was it was a sight to see. I mean, he just – it was like the kid is like the big 12 year old kid in literally that you thought it, the 200 foot fence mm-hmm. was way too short, but this guy's doing it at the highest level, which was insane, you know? Yeah. So absolutely. It was fun yeah. to watch. Yeah. And so you get, so this is 2001 and you, you get some at bats. Tell us about your first at bat. Well, the first day I got um, summons to pinch hit. We're playing diamondbacks. And so I got all the way on deck Got all fired up, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Dusty called me back. 
And, you know, we, we had a phrase, you know, I don't know if it's politically correct to say it, but, you know, I got all ready, worked up, ready to hit. And then he called me back and then I go back and I was like, uh, and then Sean, Sean Dunson and Eric Davis were like two big brothers yeah. and they took care of me my whole time I was there. And they were like, ah, you got, you know, that, that, that phrase. And I was like, man, I was so ready to hit. <laughs> and then he just pulled a plug on me. Yeah. And so and they just were laughing. So I was like, all right, whatever. I'll be ready to go tomorrow. Because he had already announced me in the game. So he pinch hit for the pinch hitter. So uh, okay. I was scratched. Yeah. So, yep. so then I was like, hey, first day, you know, my family's there, grandparents, yeah. everyone, you know. And they saw me come out and, and all excited. Then I got yanked back. But I get it. You're yep. trying to win games. So then the next night, um, we're playing them again. And Schilling's pitching. Mm. And he is blowing. I mean, Shield must have been 95 to 97, and that split was lights out. So all I kept saying is, if I hit against him, I'm going to swing quick because mm. I can't punch out my first at bat. So we got to the fourth, and LeVon Hernandez was pitching, and he was struggling a little bit. So basically said, hey, this is going to be it for Levo, and you're going to lead off next. And, and I think I might have said me, like like, like I questioned yeah. him. He's curious, <laughs> ready to put me in the game. He goes, you're going to hit lead off or Levo next hit. And I'm like, me? <laughs> he goes, yeah, it's you. And so I was like, oh, my God, okay, this is real now. This is it. And so Sean and Eric, they're over there taking bets on if I'm going to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> so and i told i said i'm not gonna throw up i said i might have to go to the bathroom a lot but i don't puke i said i don't i won't throw up i said and they're like yeah right you go throw up right now i said i'm not gonna throw up so mm -hmm. you know i just kept running back and forth the bathroom any there's like the longest half of an inning it felt like it was an hour long and then, you know, Dusty said, all right, here's your chance, man. Mm -hmm. And so he said, you've been waiting a long time for this. So, you know, I just came out on deck. And and I guess the cool thing about San Francisco, from the dugout to the on-deck circle to the play, it's not a far walk. Yeah. You know, whereas yeah. like Dodger Stadium, it's like you're walking a half of a mile mm -hmm. to the plate. So it was like, okay. So I get in and – you know, and that, then I the crowd started standing, and you know, I was getting a standing. Oh, I sensed it, but I'm thinking, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna tip my cap. This is my first at bat. I ain't been here <laughs> enough to be tipping a cap. Yeah, so, yeah. but that's I'm cool thinking, that they know, right? Yeah, like, this guy's yeah. been. Yeah, no, it it was it was awesome that they that they knew, and, and you know, we we were in a pennant race. Um, Barry's chasing the home run record, so it was standing room only. You know, it was. Mm. It, packed out house so that was cool so i get in and you know they're shilling out there grunting and snorting and mm -hmm. you know striking everyone out and all i'm thinking is man i if shill comes across that plate with a, a hard one i'm hacking yeah because that split finger all i see him do is fastball fastball split sit down to everyone else <laughs> <laughs> so so i just get in there and and he he let he groove one, mm. and you know as a hitter, when the pitcher lets go of the ball, as I'm sure you, you know, is when it's your pitch, your eyes like get bigger than life. And soon as he let it go, I was like, oh my god, that's my pitch. <laughs> that's coming right where I want it in my wheelhouse, and and he and he fired it in there, 
and I started to go and I started my swing. And then as you know, I see ball coming in. I know we don't actually see the ball hit our bat, but I start my swing. And when I felt it hit the bat, I was like, that's not on the right spot. Mm -hmm. It was out on the end. And I was like, Oh, that's the end. And I saw it come off. And uh, then I started saying, bloop, 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 you know. (laughs) (laughs) And so it, you know, Reggie, I think it was Reggie Sanders was playing for him then. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I was begging for a hit, but he, it was, it was just a routine pop-up. And so he caught it. And then I ran behind the mound and Schilling said something to me. And to back it up, Kevin Jordan, who's really good friends of mine, he played with him and uh, Kevin and Shill played together in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's right. So they had a relationship. So he called KJ like after the game and said, man, your boy got his first big league AB <laughs> against me. And I gave him a cookie and he popped it up. And I was like, man, I wish I'd have known he's going to give me a cookie because I'm looking on the edges, you know, I'm yeah. looking slip through everywhere else, but where he threw it. And, and so, you know, that was my first at bat. And it was just, you know, once I, I think my feeling once I got in the batter's box, it, it reverted back to literally high school, college. It's like I've done this so much. It's you just you're just in a different stage or arena, but the batter's box is the batter's box. And the pitcher's standing out there with the ball trying to get you out, you know. So it's just yeah. my instincts kind of kicked in. Mm-hmm. And um and that was kind of it that 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 day um against Schilling. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's that's such a cool story. And and you made it, right? There's so many yeah. guys in your position that are probably probably many you know as well that they played they're kind of journeyman AAA, right? They played and they just didn't get that call, right? And and probably think about it all the time, right? I know I have some buddies that are kind of that way and um they just wanted wanted bad. That's all they wanted, right? right. So 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 then your your career, you were I believe what 32 at that age. Yeah. When you got that call up and then how much longer did you play after that? I bounced around a few more years. Uh, where'd I go back to the Yankees in 2000, that was 2001, 2002. I was with the Yankees in AAA. 2003. I think I started in Mexico, then came back to Seattle, Tacoma, Seattle's AAA. Mm-hmm. And then 2004, I went to spring training and was released out of spring training from the Cubs. Um, and then that was went to Mexico, and, and then that was a wrap. So 2004 was my last year in, in Spikes. In Spikes, yeah. yeah. And then did you get into the coaching aspect of things, or did you go straight to the scouting side? So when I got done in 2004, my brother, who played minor league baseball in the Padre system for a few years, um, he had started, I don't know, I don't even remember how he met the parent, but he had started giving lessons to this kid mm-hmm. um, here in Sacramento. And this is kind of before anyone was doing lessons, baseball school stuff. And so he would, he would, I was playing down in Mexico and he would email me and say, Hey, give me some drills. If the kid's beating the ball on the ground, I got him to get the ball, got to, uh, I need to get him to hit more line drive or get the ball in the air more. So I email him back some drills. Oh, try this drill, you know, stuff we did. Mm-hmm. And so he'd write back, Oh, he goes, yeah, that worked. He goes, all right, now I need him. He's an outfielder. I need him to do this and that. So he was training this kid that he had met. And so then when I came home after my season in Mexico, I kind of start helping him with that kid. And all of a sudden we were at this high school field on Sundays 
charging the kids. I think it was like, a, I don't know if we call it a baseball class or clinic or whatever, but we went from this one kid and then by the beginning of the fall, I think we had like 40 something kids out there. Mm. And so we charged them a little fee and the high school coach was okay with it. We didn't have like a permit. You know, we didn't know we had no <laughs> business plan. We didn't know what we were doing. So, but all of a sudden we had all these kids coming out and we're just showing them. He pitched. So he's doing the pitching and then I'm doing the hitting and the defense. And so it's like, we're just training these kids on Sunday and everyone just started getting better and better. And then, you know, the word just spread. And then we got to winter and people were like, well, what are you guys going to do now? You know, it's winter time and, mm-hmm. and you know, the weather's going to change. And so I went and found a, a already existing softball school in West Sacramento. And I went to the owner and asked her, you know, what would it cost to rent a cage here? Because we have these kids that we've been training and they want to keep training with us through the winter. So I negotiated a, a a cage rental fee with the owner and we just kept getting kids on top of kids. And then by the next year, it was like, we had so many kids. I told my brother and my ex, I was like, we should just find our own place and open, mm-hmm. open our own spot. And they were like, you think? I was like, no, look how many kids we have. And, you know, and we did a little mock business plan. And so our parents church, um, they had a warehouse behind the church and we went to the pastor of the church and asked him, you know, what would it cost to retrofit this warehouse and then rent it from you, you know, to do our base. We told him what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so we, we worked it out with them and we basically just hit the ground running. And, you know, I had a buddy, uh, I don't know if you ever, if you remember a guy named Mark Holtzmer, a left-hand pitcher, mm-hmm. I think he pitched in the big leagues with Seattle and the angels. Well, he had, when he was playing still, he had opened uh, with four other guys that play a baseball school um, in uh, Denver, Colorado, yeah. called Slammers. They're still going, still going strong. Yep. And so Holtzy was like, Leachy, come out, spend a couple days with me in Denver. I'll show you the back end, how the business works. And basically me and my ex-wife, we went out there and he showed us, you know, all the pitfalls and what you need and he goes when you start since you're starting small he goes you don't need all the pitching machines because you can throw he goes you and your brother can throw once you guys start you know making some income then you can add all the the bells and whistles and things so we just he goes you know what a cage looks like you've hidden them forever so basically (laughs) we just you know visualize batting cages how wide how far the nets you know we wanted them and we just came back and dumped our savings into this project <laughs> and 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 I basically lived there you know okay. we called it the shop you know because yeah. it was like it was like a, the, the sweatshop you know in the summer super hot and the winter's real cold and we just just started training kids and word of mouth we just kept getting kids on top of kids and, and no one was really doing a, a baseball school at the time in 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 the right. greater Sacramento area where now god I don't even know how many there are now, but it was like, we were just ahead of everyone in doing this. And we we literally were open seven days a week. And we did that from 2004 to 2019 was when we sold. And we went from the lessons to the travel teams to back to the lessons, to helping the kids get to college. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the boys got drafted 
And this past year, last year, the we had the 13th kid reach the big league that we work with. And we were like, what are the odds? You yeah, know, that's incredible. Kids. Yeah, kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say the most famous kid would be Reese Hoskins, the first baseman on the Phillies. I gave him lessons from ninth through the 12th grade um, when he was in high school. Mm -hmm. Eric Thames, the real Vegas, he's in Vegas, real muscular guy. I coached yeah. him on a travel team. And uh, Ryan Prylard was the last kid to get called up. So it's just, it was just, we just put the kids on the track, showed them what we learned, and they just kind of ran with it. And we had a lot of fun. You know, the travel team were, was great. And for me and my brother, it was always more than just baseball. It was connecting because we were children or products of the Boys and Girls Club. Because when right. our parents worked, that's where we went after school. So we just wanted to make it like a safe haven for anyone and everyone to come in, hang out. People knew where their kids were and they knew they were safe. And, oh, yeah, George Armani, they'll teach him baseball. But, you know, we knew everyone wasn't going to be pro or even get a scholarship. So we always made it fun and enjoyment. You know, radio, mm -hmm. always on music, dancing, whatever we did. You know, <laughs> it was just a good time. Clubhouse, right? Make, make good yeah, atmosphere. Basically. Yeah, basically. Love it. That's outstanding. And then that you've shifted to, to you're on the pro side of scouting now, right? Have, have a few years on the scouting side, uh, working what for the Giants, the Marlins. Right. Tell us what you're doing now on the scouting side. So while we had the 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 school going, um, I got a call, a random call. Um, that was 2000. When the Yankees won the World Series last nine. Yeah, it was nine. 2009 after the season, a gentleman by the name of Billy Epler, who's now the general manager for the Mets. He called me and I thought it was my old teammate who used to like to prank me. <laughs> and I was just going to my facility. He goes, hey, uh, this is uh, Billy Epler, assistant general manager, scouting director for the New York Yankees. And I'm calling to speak to Jalal. And I, the, my buddy, uh, his name is Rich Barnwell. He, you know, he was one to do stuff like, and I was like, Barney, I don't have time for this. Bro, I got to get in here and get to work. And and so I was going to hang up on Billy. And he's like, don't hang up. No, he goes, this is, he goes, this is real. This is legit. And I'm like, who? Billy Epler. And he goes, you don't remember, or maybe you do. He said, when you're playing independent ball up in Canada years ago, I tried to sign you when I was working for the Rockies. And when he mm. said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember you. And I was <laughs> like, wow. And he goes, yeah, we, we're, we've we got a pro scouting job open. And your name came up and we wanted to see if you're interested. Well, I'd been out of the game, you know, for, I don't know, six, seven years. And so I was like, pro scouting, what's that? And so he kind of explained it. And I think I asked him, can I do it part-time? He goes, no, it's kind of a full-time mm. gig. Mm -hmm. And so I called a few people that I trusted that were in the game, Dusty, Hensley Mullins, and then Gary Hughes, who's a longtime scout that I mm. knew. And I told them what they were offering me. And they all, before I could get a word in edgewise, I, they said, do it, get back in. You're going to be good. And Gary's like, you're going to be a good scout. I'm like, I've never scouted anything he <laughs> goes, don't worry about it you'll figure it out yeah. and I was like well I guess I should take it so that's when I started was with the Yankees uh the the year I started was 2010 and I was there uh to 2015 and then I went to the Giants um and I was there from 15 to I believe it was 18 and then I went from 18 to 22 uh to the Marlins and then just recently, back, now back to the Giants again. So 
the pro scouting is what I've done. This will be my 14th year mm -hmm. as a pro scout. Yeah. And so, and tell, tell the audience. So what does it mean? Like with the amateur side, right? You're given a territory, right? You get a couple States and a territory to go scout. What's the pro side like? How does that work? So with the pro scouts organizations, well, what I do has nothing to do with the draft. We're, we're scouting players that are already in pro ball, whether they're in a ball all the way up to the big leagues. So some organizations will do league coverage. So like guys may have the Cal league or the NL East or West or whatever, or you can do organizational coverage. So like this year I have the Yankees, Baltimore, and Toronto. So I'm basically responsible for all their affiliates from well, the DSL all the way up to the big league team. So, I guess the difference between pro and amateur scouting is a volume of reports where yes. a, pro, <laughs> a pro scout, you got to write up everyone. Amateur, you may go to high school and write up one kid mm -hmm. or college, a couple of kids. However, and, you know, the difference is the draft versus trade, free agency, or, or release players. So, yeah, pro scout is where I started and where I've been. But, you know, I've always been interested in, in every component of the game just you know how how teams are built and made yeah that's awesome man well john this has been awesome right it's been very cool to hear your story and see kind of where you come from and all the way through and been in part of some type of major league organization for a long time and so from just from a quick hitting standpoint any tips or advice like we already you talked about the the index finger off the bat any other like one nugget you could give a, a potential hitter that might be listening to this call? Don't miss the fastball. <laughs> Don't you miss you the gotta fastball. get the fastball to play. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you can't hit the fastball, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I know they're outliers, guys who can survive on hitting breaking balls, but I always stress to the kid hitting starts with hitting number one mm -hmm. is the fastball. So if you can make sure you get yourself on time and in position, however you do that to hit that fastball, you're giving yourself a chance to hit because I feel like with hitting, you're not going to hit this nasty breaking ball. You'd be happy if you could foul it off. The breaking balls that are damaged are hangers or mm -hmm. mistakes by mm -hmm. the, the, the pitcher. But if you can consistently uh, um, hit the, hit the fastball, you're going to give yourself a chance um, another thing that I look for in with right-hand hitters, um, and, and I'm looking at it for, for, for a major league level or standpoint, is uh, adjustability with their swing to be able to hit the ball the other way. Because as we know, you know, two-thirds, majority of the pitchers in baseball are right-handed. So if you're a right-handed batter, that right-on-right -right slider or breaking ball that's breaking away, if you can – adjust and you know show some kind of resemblance of going the other way for me i can hang with you uh, a lot longer as a prospect mm -hmm. or developing prospect than if you're dead pull because i feel like if you become so one-dimensional where it's just lift and separate i mean you know you played it it can make for a short career because these guys today can spin that ball and move it away from you so fast um, it can make for a short career. Thus, that's why you always see teams kind of value a left-handed hitting shortstop over the right-hand hitting shortstop. You know, so just really, yeah. but really, just hit the fastball. Hit the fastball, man. Yeah, hitting coaches tell you that all the time. Absolutely, yeah. don't miss it. All right. 
Well, Jalal, man, I appreciate your time coming on here. Great story. When you got to Vegas, let me know. We'll play some golf. And best of luck to you in the rest of your career. Thanks for having me, Chad. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. We'll see you. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jalal. Great dude. He's been around the game for a long time. Great call-up story. Just uh, just shows like you just keep grinding it out, right? It's sometimes you – his dad had told him, like, I'm giving you four years, and he was already at the top of AAA. And he's just like, no, I'm going to still keep going, right? And and it still took a few more years after that to get his call-up. So kudos to you, Jalal. Congratulations and best of luck in your career and, and all the scouting parts of, of what you're doing to help build a championship team. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.